Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, we're so excited to be in this series. It's an incredible series and extremely timely. We're calling it Vintage Church, and our subtitle is A Model for the Modern World. Now, we're going through the beginning of Acts and looking at when the New Testament church was birthed. And we're looking at our church today and kind of doing a compare and contrast of what the differences are so that we can follow the Holy Spirit. He guides us and shows us hey, you've kind of gotten off course. You got to get back on track to what the main things are. And so as we study this out, we're just inviting him to do that for us in our church so that we can get back to what the vintage church looked like. So I'm going to share with you our main text today. It's out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers those daily those who were being saved." See, there's a handful of specific things that mark the beginning of the New Testament church. And today, we're going to look at one specific thing out of Acts 2.46. So I'm going to read that again for us, what we're going to be focusing on today. It says, They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If you're taking notes today or you just really like sermon titles, you can title this one, Join Me at the Table. Join Me at the Table. Now, I love learning about Jewish culture and customs. I think it's important for us as believers to learn and understand more about the Jewish culture because as we do, we get to know more about Jesus and we have a greater understanding of Him and His teachings. So when Tim and I moved to San Francisco and we'd lived here for a little bit of time, we got introduced to a Jewish couple here in the city. They actually attend our church now. And it was um, a really cool moment that we decided to invite them over to dinner to get to know one another along with a mutual friend. And I said, hey, come over. We're going to have dinner. And you know me, I'm a foodie. I think I remember almost exactly everything I made that night. I made lemon kebabs, not pork, because I know that much about Jewish culture. I made a really yummy medley of vegetables that I roasted in a champagne herb vinaigrette. There's probably a kale salad because we know I love my kale. And there most likely was some good sourdough bread from a local bakery. And we ate together that night. But as I, I started seeing them fill their plates, I noticed that they weren't putting a lot of food on their plate. And I thought, well, that's strange. Like, well, maybe they're just light eaters. There's no way, you know, it's not It's not that they don't like my food. Like, there's no way possible, right? <laughs> they had complimented the food. They liked the flavors, all of that. We talked about it. We just thought, well, maybe they're just light eaters. No big deal. Well, as our relationship developed and we had talked, 
talked to later on, weeks later, uh, they revealed to me the reason why they didn't really fill their plates much that night. Apparently, they had had some bad experiences with going to Gentiles' homes for dinner parties. Apparently, they had been to a couple before where they'd been invited and they'd shown up and they expected a feast as Jewish people come together for a feast. And instead they found cheese and crackers. So they decided, well, if we're being invited to a Gentile home, then we gotta have a pre-dinner. Well, then they came to my house and I'm not just any Gentile. I will make sure that you are fed. Not only will you be fed in full, I'll hopefully send you home with leftovers. I love creating a place where people can come and feel like they can have their fill. I have the gift of hospitality. It's not just me who has the gift of hospitality, so does my husband. See, when we looked for houses in the past to buy or when we were here in San Francisco and looked for a house to rent, we never really care about the size of the bedrooms or if the bathroom is elaborate or not. For us, the main thing that we think about is the entertaining space. We're thinking about other people when when we tour a house because we want to make sure we have enough room, not just for us and our family, but we have enough space to entertain other people. It's not just in the size of the house that we want to look at and if we can fit people in there, but when I go to select furniture, of course, I have to like the couch or the chair I'm selecting, but I also am thinking about the people that I'm going to host in my home because no dining room table is big enough for the amount of people that I like to invite over. So many times when we have people over for food, people will spill over into the living room, take their plate over and eat it over the coffee table or on the couch. And sometimes I make spaghetti sauce. So the furniture I buy has to be durable enough to withstand the people and the food and the mess and all of it. Even when it comes to budgeting, we think through the lens of being hospitable. You know, we don't just allocate a certain amount of money towards our groceries uh, for just our family, but we think about the people that we're going to invite over and we allocate enough funds so that we can buy food for other people. See, before shelter in place and before isolation, we would have people over to our house five or six nights a week. When my kids would wake up in the morning, they'd say, mom, who's coming over for dinner tonight? And if we'd say, no one, honey, it's just us. They'd say, oh, like, really? Are you sure? Should you call someone? Apparently they don't want to hang out with just us. They were so used to people being around us all the time and in our home. In fact, my neighbor doesn't really like us because we always have people coming and going from our home. Shh, hopefully he doesn't hear that. But we were just so used to entertaining people and being around people all the time. It's so important to us. And this that's why this season has been incredibly difficult for our family. Not just because we're, record, we're recording sermons from a basement and we can't gather at our building with all of you, but one of the most important things to us has been stripped away. And that's entertaining people, having people around our house, having people gather around our table and eating together and talking and getting to know one another and praying together and, and doing a Bible study together or worshiping together or just having community and having a good time together. And listen, God didn't call me God didn't call Tim to San Francisco to start a church so that we could simply gather in a building. 
The building is great. That gathering space is amazing. I love it. I can't wait to get back to it. I love worshiping with all of you when we lift up our voices collectively, when we call upon Jesus and he comes and he fills the room and we can sense his nearness and his presence. I love when we can listen to the word together. We can hear what God is saying to his bride. I love when people respond to the gospel and we can celebrate with them. I love that gathering space. I've had some of the most incredible encounters with God in that space. But what I realize in the Western church is that we can focus on just the Sunday gathering We can elevate the Sunday gathering to the most important thing we do as a church, and we can neglect the other important aspects that I believe are equally important as the Sunday gathering, like the fellowship and the sharing in meals. See, God did not call me to San Francisco to have a church service. God called me to San Francisco to make a place for people to find community for people to find relationship, for people to live life with one another. And I know you can meet people at church, and I'm so thankful for that, but you're not going to build relationship with people simply by sitting shoulder to shoulder with them as you listen or you engage in a church service or six feet apart coming to a church service near you. No, relationships grow by spending time together in fellowship and sharing in meals. Now, when the vintage church was established, they developed something called koinonia, not koronania. That was a bad joke. Koinonia. And it means fellowship. And I know we don't throw that word fellowship around very often. We don't like brother, sister, let's go fellowship together. That's not a word we use. But let me give you the definition of fellowship. It's, a, it's the bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians together to each other and to Christ. See, fellowship is deeper than friendship. See, the disciples in the early church, they became family. Now, if that phrase sounds familiar to you, it's because it's one of the core values of the Father's house, that we would become family. And that's not just a value that sounds good so that we can have something to throw up on our website, but we truly believe the importance of a church body and community is to become family. We believe that lives flourish in the context of community. We prioritize living life together and we refuse to let anybody be left out and do life alone. We believe in becoming family. You see, the Christian life isn't meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be full of fellowship. And not just by default. Not just like, oh, I'm a believer, you're a believer, we happen to end up in the same space. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, this should be one of the highest priorities of your life. That it's something that you should pursue. It's something that you should prioritize. See, 15 weeks ago, I would have preached the same message to you. I would have believed the same things and said the same things to you. 
But after 15 weeks of social distancing, I understand all the more the importance of fellowship and coming together to break bread. I believe that now more than ever because we've tested it. We've tested what it looks like to be outside of that community, to be forced out of it. And this morning, when it comes to verse 46 and breaking bread and coming together and sharing a meal, I think that there's two things that we can learn from the early church, that we can learn from the vintage church when it comes to that shared meal. And the first one is hospitality. We can learn hospitality. See, hospitality was and still is a huge part of the Eastern culture. It still is. It's why in in the Gospels, in Mark 6, it says that Jesus said to all of his disciples, he was getting ready to send them out two by two to go heal people and cast out demons in other areas. And he said to them, hey, when you go, I don't want you to take anything with you. I don't want you to take a change of clothes or food or a money bag. I want you to rely on the people that you're ministering to. So when you get to that town that you're going to minister in, the first door you see, I want you to knock on it. And I want you to ask them to host you, to be hospitable to you, to not just give you a warm place to sleep while you're there, but to provide for all of your needs and to feed you as well. Now, imagine with me for a moment if you were, you know, it was a random Tuesday and you were three hours into your work day at home because you're working from home and you hear the doorbell ring. So you go over and you answer the doorbell and someone's standing there and they say, hi, hi, I've been on a long journey and I'm traveling and um, I need a place to stay. So I I was wondering, can I stay here? I don't know if you have any spare bedrooms or an extra bed, but if you don't, it's 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 okay. You can sleep on the floor, and I'll I'll take your bed, because um, you're you know the hospitality is 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 something big around here, and I, I didn't bring any extra clothes or like much, so I'm just expecting you to also provide maybe some cl- a change of clothes for me, and and actually I've been traveling. It's been a long journey, so can you? Ha- I don't know what your your schedule is. I don't know what you've got on the docket for today, but can you head into the kitchen and you can you prepare something for me? That'd be great. No, that would be crazy. That sounds insane to us because that's not a part of our culture. But for the early church, for the Jewish believers, this was a part of their life. And it wasn't just that they were waiting for the possibility of someone to knock on the door that they needed to be hospitable to every once in a while, but this was a regular practice for them to be hospitable to one another. And they did this almost weekly. See, they'd gather weekly for the Sabbath meals, and it wasn't just family and friends that would gather with them, but they would invite neighbors in. They would even invite those strangers in to be a part of their meal. This was normal practice for them. You know, today, if we were at our church building and you were in the lobby and one of our group leaders came up to you and they said, hey, you know, I've got a group, we meet on Wednesday nights, you should come and they invite you to their house to come over and eat food with them. They're gonna cook it for you. There's a hesitancy there, right? Because they're like, like we've been talking for five minutes. I don't know you, and you expect me to come to your house and eat your food. Like, this is very foreign for me. But this was common for the early church because hospitality was so much a part of their culture. 
that they went beyond just the weekly Sabbath gatherings where they would have a meal together. And it says that daily they met and daily they shared meals with one another. They met and they, and they shared that meal around a table. It was a table that they gathered around. And it was more than just a place for them to eat. But it was the place that represented the spot where they they established and they maintained community. You see, I think we can learn something from the early church because they went beyond just the normal. They went beyond what they were used to. And I know for some of us, we're used to like, church and you've been doing this for a while and you're like, yeah, you join the small group and you make it every once in a while, but let me check that box. But the early church showed us that it wasn't an event that we were going to, but it was a relationship that we were inviting into our lives. It was community, daily life, daily they met together. They were showing us this is a daily practice. It's relationship. It goes beyond events. It goes beyond simple friendship. And it's a bond of community that is created that you can rely on each other from day to day. And they show us, hey, community is important. Community is supposed to happen. This is a place where you can find people that you can trust, people that can have your back. People that when you're going through a rough time, a rough season, they can gather you in and comfort you and show you empathy when you need it the most. Something that I think a lot of people in our community need right now. You see, for the early church, community was essential and it was celebrated around a meal. It wasn't a requirement No, it was a privilege to be a part of community and to gather together with people and extend your family. The hospitality sets the table for community. Hospitality sets a place that says, hey, I want to invite you in. Let me ask you today, how does that compare to your life right now? Are you prioritizing community? Now, I'm not asking you, are you ignoring all the shelter in place orders and, you know, just saying, I'm going to be with people anyway. But are you prioritizing community as, as our city begins to open back up and we can go outside and get together or go to restaurants or go to someone's house? Are you prioritizing that? I want to ask you today, are you attending church or are you a part of the church Because this is an aspect of the church. And if you're not a part of it, I believe you're missing out on one of the most incredible and beautiful gifts that the church offers us. See, the second thing that I think we can learn from the early church is unity. This shared meal was also a beautiful picture of unity with Christ and with one another as believers. See, faith in Jesus was the reason that the believers gathered together around the table. It was Jesus that they had in common. Let me say that again. It was Jesus that they had in common. Last week, when Tim preached, he talked about the group, all the different people that came 
And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it wasn't just one language, one people group that were there, but it was a whole mix of people. And on that day of Pentecost, when that happened, the New Testament church was birthed. You know, some of those people didn't go back to their regions. They didn't go back to the places that they came from, but they actually became a part of the church that was being established in Jerusalem. So you had people of different languages that came together. You had people of different nationalities. You had people that had different backgrounds and customs. You had rich people, you had poor people, you had common folk, and they all came together. And what was beautiful is they sat around the same table. Why? Because they had Jesus in common. That's what unified this group of people. And I love that when I look around our church and I look at some of the groups of people that gather together in community, I see some of this. I see a group of people there. You've got a healthcare worker and a biotech exec and a barista and a stay-at-home mom, all with different backgrounds and nationalities, all differences, and they come together and they sit at the same table. Now, what is it that they, they have in common? Oh, they all have the same political view. That's what it is. Or you know, they, they all were in the same soul cycle class or they all grew up in the same neighborhood. That's what they have in common. No, they come together with all of their differences, all their backgrounds, and it's Jesus that brings them together. The church is so beautiful in that you can get a group of people that are so different, are so unlike one another, and they can gather together around the same table and form a community, all because they have Jesus in common. Church, I think now more than ever, it's what's going on in our nation and the divide of people and honestly, the divide of believers that I'm seeing now more than ever, we need to meet up at a table. I don't know if you know this, believer, but the enemy's tool and tactic is to steal, kill, and destroy. His job, his desire is to divide believers. I'm here to remind us today that we may not have everything in common, but it's Jesus who unifies us. It's Jesus that enables us to come together under that common thing to say, we all love him and we all are gathered together because of that. When you look at verse 46, it talks about breaking bread and it talks about sharing a meal. And those can sound redundant, sound like we're talking about the same thing. But I'll remind you that when the believers got together, it wasn't long after the crucifixion. And even though the crucifixion was probably fresh in their minds or fresh in the stories that they've heard of what happened to Jesus, they still came together to remember Jesus. Many of those disciples were together with Jesus before he went to the cross and they gathered around a table together and Jesus took a loaf of bread and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. At the time, those disciples didn't understand what he meant, but it made complete sense after he died and was resurrected. 
So they came together to remember what he did. And the New Testament church continued that. And they come together around a table, around a single loaf of bread, and they say, this bread represents Jesus. We maybe are different people, have different backgrounds and lives, but we come together around this commonality that Jesus's body, it was broken for all of us. It was broken for me. It was broken for you. It was broken for her. It was broken for him. It was broken for all of us. Doesn't matter our background. It was broken for all of us. And we unite around that. Church, now more than ever, I think we need to unite around that. We need to gather around that table. There's a story that Jesus tells his disciples about a prodigal son who decided to ask his dad for his inheritance before it was time for him to have it. And he squandered it. He went out and he partied and he, he, he wasted it away until he found himself with nothing and back at the doorstep of his father. Now, the expectation was from him was probably that his father was going to be upset with him and he was going to tell him all the reasons why he was wrong. But instead, do you know what the father did? He gathered his son. He gathered everyone around and he said, we're going to have a feast and they gathered around a table and they ate together. And in that table, in that feast, it represented forgiveness, it represented grace, and it represented a whole lot of love. Church, I know that our nation's going crazy right now, and I know that there's a lot that needs to happen, a lot to be done. I don't have all the answers for you, but I believe we can start somewhere. Believe we can start at the table where there's forgiveness, where there's a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of love. I'm gonna gather around that table and I invite you in to do the same. We're gonna close in a minute. I want you to know when it comes to this aspect of the church, the relationship, the community, the coming together for meals and fellowship. When it comes to this aspect of the church, I can preach about it till I'm blue in the face, but you have to be about it in order for our church to be it. I'm there. I'm at the table. I want to see our entire church come around this that we wouldn't just show up to a service, but we would truly embody what the vintage church looked like and that we would gather together around a table and we would form that community. I invite you into that. I invite you to pull up a chair. Now, I know many of you who are the practical thinkers are like, how? Well, right now we have 25 groups that meet regularly. They've been meeting on Zoom while we've been sheltering in place. And they've got some spots left and they'd love to invite you into their community, into that space. But I know 25 groups is not going to house our entire church. So I wanna invite you, some of you to join and others of you to open up your home, open up your table. 
because we need more community happening, especially as we're able to get back together, church. And I know some of you are thinking, listen, you talked about your table and you talked about your budget and I don't have that. Hey, listen, sometimes bread at a table looks more like boba on a beach. And I don't care what it looks like, but let's get together. Let's come around the table. You've been invited. Church, would you meet me at the table? If you're here with us this morning, I wanna pray for you. If you're far away from Jesus, and you'd say, you're talking about the table, but I'm not actually following after Jesus. I want you to know that there's a spot, there's a chair for you. Right now, I want you to know that it's really simple. In order to follow Jesus, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you can be saved. So wherever you're at, would you pray with me this morning? I just simply want you to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple, and to walk in your ways from this day forward until I meet you in heaven. Come on. Thank you, Jesus, for those who prayed that prayer. And right now, I pray over our church that we'd all make our way to the table and we begin to look more like the bride you called us to be. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you've made a decision to follow after Jesus, we want to help you start your journey strong, send you a Bible, and give you some resources to start following Jesus well. For everybody else, I love you, and I can't wait to hug you or high-five you. Maybe that's an air five or an air hug in the building soon. I love you all. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.